0: it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is.
1: In scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him which was confirmation that in this moment, when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her and that in an instant from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me To help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind, she wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. Every story is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16.15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find every story wherever you listen to podcasts. Also follow doxology bible church on facebook or instagram at doxology bible want to share your story or know someone who might send us an email to stories at doxology.church because everyone has a story
0: hey it's chris freeland and you're listening to the doxology bible church podcast if you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, it's a beautiful day
2: for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you?
0: Hey, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm Chris. Uh, I'm also Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are glad that you're here this morning uh, with us as we start a brand new series called Mission Next Door. Uh, In fact, if you're a guest with us this morning, you're here on a really good Sunday because uh, you get to be on the ground level of something. Uh, We are starting a brand new series uh, this morning and you get to be here for the first week. So we're really glad you're here if you're our guest this morning and, and are here. Let me tell you a little about where we've been. We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks called Beyond the Known. And we've been asking this question for the last couple of weeks about what it looks like when we find ourselves in those holy cow moments where we realize, man, I've never been here before. We find ourselves totally beyond the known. And we've talked about how most of the time when we find ourselves beyond the known, it's in places that seem awfully similar and yet also really, really different at the same time. And we've looked at Joshua chapter 1 to 4 as we've talked about what it looks like in our own lives as we take steps beyond the known. We followed the people of Israel as they took their own steps beyond the known together and watched as they followed God. They followed him wisely. They followed him with worship. They followed him expecting that he was going to show up. And they followed him with a purpose beyond themselves as they took steps uh, beyond the known. And so we've looked at what it looks like in our own lives and in our life as a church as we start to walk beyond the known uh, together. And uh, So for this next couple of weeks, what we're going to do, actually for the next four weeks, I would like to begin to unpack just a little about what I believe that it is God's leading us to do as we as a congregation and we as individuals begin taking steps beyond the known uh, together. Uh, and so we're going to be in the last part of Luke chapter 10 for the next several weeks. But before if we get there, before you turn there, uh, I want to do something just a little bit unique this morning and try to connect the two series together. So when we begin this morning, we're going to actually begin in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you brought your Bible this morning, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, uh, there are Bibles just right around you. you could, this one's easy to find. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. So start on the left left-hand side, and you'll find Genesis, and then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and you'll arrive in Deuteronomy. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me tell you where we're at. We've talked about the the nation of Israel moving into this place beyond the known together. And they have stood on the steps of a place where God had promised to give them, following a leader that God had promised to give them. And uh, what we found is that they got ready to take these steps. There was a person who had led them for a long amount of time. His name was Moses. Well, where we pick up the story in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses has just found out he's not going beyond the known with these people. And so he gathers all of the people of Israel together and he begins to give them what amount to his last words. And as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is standing in front of all of the gathered people of Israel, somewhere around 2 million people, and he's giving them instructions about the things that are the most important for them to remember as they take their next steps beyond the moon. And that's where we find him talking in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is at the edge of the promised land talking to the people and he begins to give them his last words. And a part of those last words are what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So look there at Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I'll read through verse 9. Moses is speaking and said this, These are the commands, decrees, and the laws your Lord directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, so that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel... The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So Moses stands in front of the people, and in what amount to his last words, he says to the people, hey, people of Israel, you're moving beyond the known together. And if in this land, this place to where you're going, you want to keep from getting lost if you want to enjoy the land that God is giving you for everything that it's worth, here are the most important things for you to remember. Listen up, Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. See, you don't have to pick between a whole bunch of gods. God's made it pretty simple for you. You don't have to divide your allegiance between the sun god and the moon god and the work god and the play god and the fertility god and the stay-at-home god and the harvest god and the crops god and the planting god. God's made it really, really simple. It's just him. So pick that god. And with everything you have inside of you, worship that god as long as you live. And in fact, take all of these things that I've said and listen up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And in fact, he gets pretty practical with them. He says, these commandments that I give you, they're supposed to be on your heart's. He says, impress them on your children, literally etch them on your children. And you get the picture of a mom and dad who sit down with their child over and over and over to the point that this idea of one God and loving this one God with everything that you are gets scraped into the heart of a child. Moses says it's so important, etch it on the heart of your children. And then he gets even more practical, talk about it. When you're at home, when you walk along the road... When you lay down at night, when you wake up in the morning, this should be the thing that's on your mouth. This should be the thing that's on your brain. In fact, every time you look at your body, you should be reminded that the Lord your God is one and that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. In fact, Moses goes on to say, it should be the way that you live your life beyond the known should be as if anytime someone looks in your eye The what they see staring back at them is such a good representation of a person who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind that it's like it was tied on your forehead. That's the kind of person to be when you walk beyond the known. Be the kind of person that when someone gazes into your eye, they see a person who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength. And then he goes on in verse nine. Verse nine. And he says this, and we're going to come back to this image over and over and over in the next four weeks. Moses looks at the people of Israel and he says, in fact, go a step further. Write them on the door frames of your houses and as if your gates here's the image that Moses is trying to get the people of Israel to understand. And as we turn to Luke chapter 10 a little bit later in our service, what Jesus says to people in Luke chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 22 and in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 12, what Jesus says over and over and over in his ministry is this exact same idea. In verse 5 here, it applies specifically to our homes. But as what Jesus says, this applies to just about everything in life. And the image is this. All of us walk through doors every single day. We walk through our bedroom door into the living room. We walk from the living room into the kitchen. We walk from the kitchen into the garage. We open the garage door. We close the garage door. We have an office door, we have a home door. We have a grocery store door, we walk through the door at Starbucks, we walk through the door at whatever restaurant we walk through, we walk through the door of our laundry room, we walk through the door of our friend's house, we walk through hundreds and thousands of doors every single week. In fact, just this morning, I counted, on my way to the office this morning, I walked through ten doors so far this morning, ten unique doors so far this morning, and it's only 930 We walk through doors every single day. And what Moses says to the people as they stand on the edge of the promised land is, the way that you walk forward from here, it ought to be as if this command was etched above every single door you cross through. The Lord that you serve is one God. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all of your strength. What Moses says to the people, the big question that he wants to beg for the people of Israel is specific to their homes, but as Jesus is going to unpack it, it also is specific to every single door we walk through. He's wanting to ask them a really big question. The question is this. Who are you going to be, Israel? Who are you going to be, McKinney Church, as you walk through the next door? What's your mission as you walk through the next door you come to. And Moses has an answer. Moses says, whatever door you come through, whether it's the door of your house, the door of the gates, the door of your office, the door of your grocery store, the door of the country club. As you walk through that door, your mission should be to be a person who loves the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses says, inscribe the the words on the door if you have to, but the question is, when you come to the very next door you're going to walk through, what kind of person is going to emerge on the other side? When you come to the next door you walk through, who's going to show up on the other side of that door? And Moses has an answer for us. The great command of Moses, which becomes the great commandment of Jesus Christ later on, is this, that every day... Every time, through every door, every part of us should be on a mission to love God. That's what Moses says to the people. When you get ready to move beyond the known, when you get ready to take your next steps, when you get ready to wake up and walk through your bedroom into the next door, here's what you have to remember. Every single day, every time, through every door, every part of us should be on a mission to love God. God that's the mission of the next door whichever door we walk through whether it's at home or on the golf course or at the office or the doors to the church the answer ought to be precisely the same Moses tells the people they ought to be people who love the Lord their God with all their heart all their soul and with all of their strength And that command that Moses gives the people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 becomes essential for them as they walk forward in the land beyond the known. In essence, what Moses has done is boiled down all 613 commandments of the law into one. If you forget everything else, nation of Israel, Moses says, don't forget this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, and with all your soul. And just like us, if you know the rest of the story... The nation of Israel went through times of up and down where they did really well keeping this commandment where every door they walked through was a door in which they emerged on the other side as a person and as a nation who loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength. And they went through profound down cycles where they put the Lord their God on a shelf and began to worship other gods, gods of money and of power and of sex and of pleasure. And they walked that way for thousands of years, up and down, and up and down, to the point that when Jesus emerges on the scene, they are emerging from a profound down cycle. In fact, it got so bad that for some years, the nation of Israel has been ruled by other people in the land God promised to give them, they've been ruled over by other nations who served other gods. And in fact, as they've begun to emerge, the way that they've decided to keep these commands is to just designate them as religious commands. The command to love the Lord your God is with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strengths, primarily a religious command. It's to be kept in a religious way when you go to a religious place with religious people, and specifically people that share your same religion. In fact, when it comes to loving the Lord your God, that's really something that should be left to the pros, So you show up on a special religious day to keep the religious command with the religious people and you let the religious pros tell you how to keep the religious command and the rest of the week you just try to stay out of trouble. That's what it looks like to honor God for a nation of Israel in the first century when Jesus emerges on the scene. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I live that way. Let's just leave the the, the loving of God to something that happens when we come together. And yeah, I probably love him through the week, but really I'm just trying to keep myself out of trouble. And when Jesus emerges on the scene, that's the climate that he's walking into as a nation of people who have pretty much marginalized their love of God to something they do on Saturday and something they leave to the religious people while they keep the rules the rest of the week. As we get to Luke chapter 10, that's the climate that Jesus is walking into. In fact, as Jesus walks into Luke chapter 10, and as you're turning there, I'll set the stage for that. Uh, The first part of Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 followers. Throughout Jesus' ministry, there were lots of people that followed him around, and at different levels of following Jesus. There was a huge group of people that just followed Jesus around everywhere he went. They thought that it was exciting, there was lots of stuff going on, it was fun to follow Jesus. There was a large group of people that just followed Jesus around. There was a small group of people that followed Jesus. And when we come to Luke chapter 10, Jesus picks 72 people that go in addition to the 12 people that he'd already chosen that followed Jesus. And they go before Jesus into these different towns that Jesus is going to go to. They prepare the way for Jesus to show up. These 72 have emerged out of a time, if you were to read in Luke 9, Jesus is starting to set the stage of what life is going to look like for these people. In fact, he declares that he's about to head towards the cross. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He knows he's about to die and the going's about to get tough for the people that truly want to follow him. And so he gives them a warning and says, this is not going to be the highlight, following Jesus. All the time, it's not going to be luxurious. It's not going to be extravagant. The guy comes to him and says, you know, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And jesus says to him. Well, that's fine. That's great. Let's just get this really straight I'm, not staying at five-star hotels everywhere I go In fact, I don't have a place to lay my head So if you're okay with that, then follow me if you just want to follow me around now's a good time to step off The radar because this is not going to get any easier I jesus is saying we're not following a rock star here. This is not going to be the high life And out of those people that stuck around, Jesus picked 72 and said, go ahead of me. And they go and prepare the way and then they come back to Jesus and they report to Jesus what they've seen. They're so excited about what they've seen happening. They report it back to Jesus. In the first part of Luke chapter 10, Jesus takes the opportunity of their excitement to give them some really intentional direction about who he is and what it is that he's come to do. And then, if you fast forward to Luke chapter 12, you see these same people sitting around Jesus as Jesus teaches them specifically how to pray. And right smack in the middle of Jesus giving them intentional instruction about who he is and what he's come to do, and in Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaching them how to go about praying and following him through prayer, we find two stories. And I think that it is far more than just an accident that Luke put these two stories right between Jesus' teaching on discipleship. In fact, what I think, it's not, it's not like Luke was looking for a, a place to cram these stories and he couldn't find a better place, so he just decided, well, I'll throw them in the last part of this story about D- Jesus' teaching. I'll throw it right in the middle of there and maybe people will figure it out later. I think what Luke is trying to do is tell us two stories from Jesus' life about what it really looks like to follow Jesus. And he gives us these two stories in Luke chapter 10, sandwiched right between Jesus' intentional Uh, teaching of discipleship. Jesus is, Luke's showing illustrations of exactly what Jesus expects out of the people that follow him. So Luke, look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. We're gonna start the first story today. Luke chapter 10. Luke's writing and says, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Somewhere along the way, this man finds Jesus. Jesus is sitting down teaching, as was customary for him to do, and this man, it says, is an expert in the law, finds Jesus. And he has a question for Jesus that he stands up and asks. This was common. This was a common way to do life. A master teacher would sit and teach, and then somebody would pepper them with questions. And we don't know if his question has malintent or if he's asking a legitimate question. It kind of seems like he's trying to trick Jesus. But he asked Jesus this really important question. Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? He's asking a question about what it looks like to be right with God. Now, as you're reading through this and studying it on your own, one of the first questions that comes up is, this is kind of a silly question for an expert in the law to ask, right? What does it look like to be right with God? This guy is is an expert in the law. You would kind of think that that's part of the application process. This is a fairly important question to ask and to know the answer to. You would have thought someplace along the way, somebody who interviewed this expert in the law would have asked him, what does it look like to be right with God? Why is it that the expert in the law, if he knows all of the law, all 613 commands, asks this question of Jesus? You know why it is? Because he's an expert in the law. He's read 613 commandments, all of the commandments from the top 10, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't have any other gods before you, all the way down to commandments about dietary restrictions and what it is that you're supposed to wear and not wear. He knows all of them. And he knows that the commandments prescribe to live this way. And in fact, Leviticus chapter 18 says, if you do these things, if you keep these things, you will live. This guy knows that the law represents a comprehensive standard for what it looks like to be right in God's eyes. And he knows that Leviticus chapter 18 says, do these things and you'll live. What's implied in that? If you do these commands... If you keep these commands, you live. What's implied in that? If you don't keep the commands, what? You die. It's pretty clear, and it's pretty fair. But pretty quickly, you and I recognize there's a problem here. Because if what it looks like to be right in God's eyes is to keep 613 commandments, every single one of us is in a world of hurt. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't need 613 I just need one or two, and I can't even keep those. When it comes to 613 commandments, if if what looking right in God's eyes, if being right in God's eyes means keeping the law and I live, I'm a dead duck because I can't keep the law. If I'm an expert in the law, I realize that either all of us are in big trouble or there has to be more to the story. And that's what motivates this guy's question, is the knowledge that there has to be something else to the story. And that's the question that the expert in the law asked Jesus. And Jesus turns the guy's attention back to the Bible. He says, well, what do you read? What do you want to do to have eternal life? Well, what does the Bible say? And the guy answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He even adds one to what Moses said, just for safety. And love the neighbor as yourself. This is not this guy's first rodeo with Jesus. He gives the quintessential Sunday school answer that Jesus gives in other places about what it looks like to live right in God's eyes. Jesus answered this question a lot in Matthew chapter 22 and in Mark chapter 2 or in Mark chapter 12. And so this guy knows the answer to the question, and he knows that even with that answer to the question, he's in big big trouble. So he has two options. As he stands before Jesus and he hears the answer, yeah, that sounds right, that's orthodox, that's the right answer, he can either narrow the command so that it only works with religious people and religious times with religious places so that he can keep that command or he can throw himself at the feet of Jesus and beg for another option. Throw himself at the feet of Jesus and ask for mercy. Well, this guy, this expert in the law, you know the answer that he gives. He makes a bad choice. And we'll see his response later in the series. Before we move on, I want to make just a, a quick comment about this. There, there's a group of people who are hearing my voice this morning. A group of people who were hearing my voice on the, the internet, if you're watching this here, or you're seeing it on a, a CD, you're listening to it on a DVD, uh, that have lived your entire life thinking that if you could just obey God, if you would just marginalize all of your religious stuff to Sunday and try not to do all of the really bad stuff on Monday through Saturday, you can be right with God. And you know, in one sense, Jesus says you are absolutely right. If you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, every day a week, all the time, through every door, every time, with every part of you, you can be right with God. Do these things and you will live. The problem is you know and I know that we haven't done that. Let's be honest, I mean, not even really close. And the answer to the question is not to narrow the focus of the command, It's to fall at the feet of Jesus and ask for mercy. And the good news that scripture reveals and that Jesus shows later on in his ministry is that there is a way, there is good news. There's a way to have life everlasting through God's mercy, not by keeping the rules. See, Jesus did live the perfect life every day, every time, through every door. And as 100% man, he was able to die and pay the penalty that I owed. As 100% infinite God, he was able to make an infinite a payment that could apply to you as well. And Jesus offers eternal life simply by faith, by casting yourself at the mercy of him, trusting that he paid the penalty for your sins and gives you everlasting life. And if this morning you have never trusted Jesus Christ, you've trusted in your ability to keep the rules, the bad news is you will never, ever, ever, ever make it. The good news is, before you leave today, you can have everlasting life simply because of Jesus Christ and what he's done and what he gives you. And it's simply a gift. It costs absolutely nothing. You can take it right where you sit. Jesus Christ made another way. That's not to say that the command that Jesus gives is not essential, that it's not important. In fact, Jesus implies that the command that this guy, the answer that this guy gives is the right answer. It is something that Jesus has told his followers to do, not because they owe God anything, not out of fear or obligation, but we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all of our strength, all the time, through every door, every time, with every part of us as a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done. Not to earn anything, not to get anything, but to reflect to the rest of the world what Jesus Christ has done. Carrie and I have a mortgage, just like a whole lot of you do. And it just so happens that we've got a mortgage at a bank where we know the banker really, really well. And yet, every single month, we send in our payment out of fear. If we stop sending in our payment... As good of friends as our bankers are, they will call our house and say to us, Chris, you didn't make the payment, we're taking the house back. But just imagine, just for a second, we didn't make our payment for a while. We fell short for quite a while, and these bankers called us and said, Chris and Carrie, we love you. You are so far behind on your payment, you are never going to make it up. In fact, you are so far behind on your payment, there is no possible hope that you could ever pay us back. So here's what we're going to do, and the line is silent. And then they say to us, We're going to pay your mortgage. We're going to pay it off. You owe us nothing. There are no strings attached. You don't ever have to bank with us again. Just because we love you, we're going to pay off your mortgage. You know what we would do? I'll tell you one thing we would never, ever, ever, ever bank anywhere else. (laughs) But we didn't do it out of guilt. We wouldn't do it out of fear. We would do it because we have been loved with a love that could never be replaced. We would respond and try to reflect to the rest of the world how greatly we have been loved. The fact that Jesus has paid for our inability to keep the law doesn't mean that we shouldn't listen to what he says and continue to reflect what he said. His heart is for people to reflect him not out of guilt and fear, but out of love something that Moses said was so important that it should be etched on our hearts, and that is that we should walk forward every step of the way loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our strength, every time, through every single door, every place, every part of us on a mission for the next door. To demonstrate and reflect the love of God to a world that's watching because we love Him and we have been loved by Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. Jesus is saying, and, and, and listening to what this man, what Moses said is with everything you are, everywhere you are, your identity should be wrapped up in the fact that you are a God lover. That should drive and motivate every single thing that we do at the very core of our being. Not just on a priority list of things to do where we Say we're going to love God first and then love our neighbor and love our wife and love our kids and love our job and love our... God says, don't put me on a list. When God makes the command to love him with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul, it's not just a command about the things that we should do. That's far too narrow. In giving the command this way, what Jesus says, what Moses says, it's not just a command about what we should do, it's a command about who we should be. Jesus says that he doesn't want to be on your list. He wants to be the driving factor that motivates every single thing you do through every single door you go, every door you walk through. The next door, you should emerge on the other side as a person who loves God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. See, what Jesus does in accepting this guy's answer is he totally demolishes the wall between secular and sacred. See, there is no such thing as a distinction in God's eyes between secular and sacred. There is a distinction in God's eyes between loving God and idolatry, and that's it. And in accepting this guy's answer, what Jesus says is every time, every place, every day, through every door, every part of us should be on a mission to love God. It should be who we are at the core of our being. This is the Christ-centered life that we talk about. That we would be a church that develops people so that when they walk through any door they walk through, they're a person who emerges on the other side of the door as a person who is loving God with every day, every time, every place, through every door, with every part of them focused on loving God right where they are. When you do laundry, that you're doing it because you're motivated by God's love. When you talk to your neighbor, you're doing it because God has loved you and you love God with everything that is in you. When you go to the office, when you report to your boss, when you give direction to other people, when you play golf, when you eat at a restaurant, when you grocery shop, whatever door we walk through, that we would emerge on the other side as a person who loves God with every single part of us. Here's my heart, here's my dream for McKinney Church as we move ahead. We can't be good at everything. My heart is that we would be good at the things that Jesus says are the most important. And my goal, my dream, my heart is that every single one of us, every person that calls McKinney Church their home would be incredible at telling two stories. Just two. First story is this, the story of how we trusted Jesus. And I recognize there are some of you that are here today that are not there yet you haven't trusted Jesus yet. I hope you know, and I hope it's so obvious to you that we will love you and encourage you and embrace you right where you're at, whatever you've done, whatever you've been, whatever your habits, whatever your stuff, whatever your junk, that we will love you. But I hope it's also so obvious by looking square into our eyes that we believe there is nothing more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not an ulterior motive in bringing you here, it's not an ulterior motive in our relationship. It's our ultimate motive to see you experience life that is truly life. Because because it only comes from Jesus. And it's my prayer that every single person that calls McKinney Church their home would be incredible at telling the story of how they trusted Jesus. The second story is this, that every single person that calls McKinney Church their home would be incredible at telling the story about how loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength changed the way we walked through the last door we opened. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, where at the drop of a hat, if you saw someone else and they asked you what a difference Christ made in your life, you would be incredible at telling the story of how loving Jesus Christ with everything that is in you, every day, every place, every time, every part of you loving him for what he's done for you, that you'd be able to answer the question, how loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, Change the way that you walk through the last door you opened. I want to show you just a video real quick of a guy at McKinney who's got this figured out. Uh, Leland and Judy Phillips have been a part of McKinney for a long time, and I think he would tell you, in fact, he'll tell you a little bit in the video, uh, he hasn't always done this well. But not too long ago, uh, he got some news that changed everything. I want you to hear his story just for a moment as we get ready to close. Take a look.
2: I realized I was really in serious trouble. I had suspected it for quite a while. I'd been losing strength and my memory was not near what it, I thought it should be. But I attributed these things to old age. I went to tell Judy this and uh, she said, Well, Leland, uh, we're going to the emergency room and I, like any other man, I said, Oh, no, it'll, it'll get better. Let's wait till tomorrow. Well, fortunately, uh, we went to the emergency room. And uh, in about an hour after examining you the doctor came in and said that I had a baseball-sized tumor in the front part of my brain. Needless to say, I, I figured that was a death sentence, actually. But at that point, Judy prayed to, to the, the Lord that he would help her know what to do, because here she's got an old man sitting there, and we don't have a clue what to do. And she prayed for God's guidance as to where to go, and uh, and for prayers for the, for my recovery, the following Wednesday I had a seven-hour surgery, and this surgery is uh, what truly transformed my life. As a child, we were in church every time the doors opened, and at eight I accepted the Lord and never had any doubt that uh, He was my Lord and Savior, and that uh, I, I lived a, a really. I did. I did. It was a good. As a youth, I was pretty good. I I uh, really lived a good life and was in church quite often. And uh, that changed after I got out in the business world, unfortunately. And I did a lot of things as a traveling salesman that I wish I'd never done. But I can't take that back. I just felt so guilty and felt so unworthy, and I couldn't accept uh, forgiveness for that. And during the seven hours of surgery, uh, which seemed like just a minute to me, I experienced just fields of white, white as snow, that were endless. And somehow I knew that uh, this was forgiveness from God, and it's available to all of us. And and, uh, it it just totally transformed my life. And I also uh, felt God saying, Leland, I want so much more for your life than you're getting out of it. And uh, when I awakened, the first thing I said, and it was to Boyd Moore, who's been such, so instrumental in my life. I said, Boyd, I just went through the, the shadow, of the, the valley of the shadow of death. And I said, and God, God loves me for some reason. And I'll never forget Boyd said, well, Leland, God looks at the heart and he knows your heart. And I do pray that I have a, a heart that longs for the Lord. And because of what I experienced, I no longer feel guilt. I feel God's forgiveness. I, I feel that uh, I know that, that I have been imputed with Christ's righteousness and that I can come before the throne of God. And I know He loves me and I know He wants more for me uh, than He ever got before the surgery. And if anything, I think maybe we would all be better off. I would pray that we could experience something like this because it has totally changed my life. I've always been uh, pretty much a loner but Boyd, uh, he said, Leland, there's no way you can be a loner Christian. You've got to care about people and uh, because of that and and the realization of, of how much I am loved by God and forgiven by God, I've reached out to people that I never would have reached out to before. And amazingly enough, when you when you do that, there's a lot of hurting people out there, and you really can make a difference. And uh, I I just thank God honestly that this happened to me because I now know that I'll I'll finish well, and uh, and I will keep. I hope that I'll just keep doing more and more every day to serve the Lord. and and, and if the Lord can use me, He can use anyone because I'm way sub average and uh, I just pray that he will use me if you know Leland you know God's answer in that prayer Uh,
0: he's a guy who has figured out every place every time through every door every part of him is focused on loving God with everything he's got Don't let finding out that you're dying be what causes you to figure out how to live. My prayer is that we would be a group of people as we move forward, every place, every time. When we come to a door, we make the commitment that we're going to be people who walk through it as people who love God with everything that's in us. Let's pray. Lord, the love of God is greater still than any pen or ink could ever tell. And we sing hallelujah because we've been loved with a love that is beyond any love we could ever imagine. We are all about to walk out a door. Um, God, it is my prayer that as we walk out that door that we would not walk out as people who are just the same, but that we would walk pe- through those doors and emerge as people who are different, who are sold out to loving the Lord our God with everything that's in us. Father, that could begin for us before we even leave. We're about to take an offering, Lord. I pray that as we give, we wouldn't give out of guilt. We wouldn't just make our regular payment. We would give out of love and out of gratitude and out of worship because you have given us more than we could ever repay. So Lord, just let us serve you. Let this be our very first reflection of what it looks like for us to be people who love you with everything that's in us. And may this world, may this city, may this church be a different place because of the way that we walk through the doors that we come to. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.